this time on Pole Hub, colds and flu have been a wintertime fact of life pretty much forever. But there's a new bug that's joined the club. It's called RSV. And fortunately, there's an effective vaccine for it. Unfortunately, relatively few Americans are getting it. Has the anti-vax sentiment that grew during COVID changed how Americans think about vaccines in general? Gonna talk about that. Then, if you think staying up late and being into everything new is for the young, think again. New polling shows that members of Gen Z have some peculiar habits. So we're talking to our Gen Z producers to figure out what the heck's going on. Finally, what do you put on your slice? Some surprising results from a poll have us questioning who in the world would put that on a pizza? Lots to get to, so let's get to it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Fall Up. I'm J.D. Dapper. I'm Barbara Carvalho. I'm Mary Griffith. I'm Athan Hollis. I'm Rebecca Hendricks. And I am Lee Merrigan. And so as we mentioned at the top, this is cold and flu season. We all know it and hate it. But this is also the season for something relatively new we've been hearing about called RSV or respiratory syncytial virus. Fortunately, as we mentioned in the open, there's a vaccine for this. Unfortunately, a lot of Americans aren't taking it. And, and we wanted to get into this because we've talked a lot about throughout the pandemic, we had a lot of public opinion research and a lot of data around vaccines and what people were doing to prevent getting or to lessen the impact of getting COVID when they got it. And a lot of the backstory in this has been about kind of a growing resistance or reluctance to get vaccines. And so we want to talk about this because it seems to be impacting um, RSV, a new vaccine that is very effective. And so we kind of get it. Is this a trend that has caught on or a problem or a, or a belief that has caught on? And what does that mean for public health? So we brought to the program uh, Dr. William Schaffner. He is a professor of infectious diseases at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine down in Nashville. He's also past president of the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases. Dr. Schaffner, thanks for coming on. Good to be with you. So um, as we mentioned, RSV, there is an effective vaccine. The uptake for it, a couple of numbers, according to the CDC, as many as 80,000 children under five are hospitalized due to RSV and between 100 to 300 kids die from it. For older folks, over 65, 160,000 hospitalizations, between six and 10,000 deaths. But very few people, only 20% of those 60 or older have gotten the RSV shot. What is going on? So let's talk a little bit about RSV and then we'll address your question. Uh, RSV is another respiratory virus that's very similar to influenza. Every pediatrician and family doctor knows about RSV because, as you said, it has a big impact on the very young. It's the leading cause of death of very young children. It's only been recently understood, however, I would say in the last 15 years or so, that this virus can repeatedly cause infections throughout life. And indeed, when it starts hitting people age 60 and older, it can have an impact as serious as influenza does during its annual influenza season. So RSV is, we think, probably for older persons, as important in terms of hospitalizations and approaches it's the importance of influenza in deaths. So this has only been recently appreciated. It's rather new news, not only to the general population, those people age 60 and older, but also to many medical practitioners 
because when they went to medical school, they learned that RSV was a pediatric virus, but now we've learned it affects adults also. So as we have developed this information and has, as the vaccine has become available for people age 60 and older, we've had to do a big educational program to educate not only the public, but also practitioners that this is important. And this has influenced the uptake of the vaccine in this very first season in which it was available. Uh, There are other things going on, of course, at the same time. During this respiratory virus season, instead of just recommending influenza vaccine, we recommended, yes, influenza vaccine, also the updated COVID vaccine, and hey, for people age 16 and older, a new RSV vaccine. Wow, got a little crowded there. Uh, and I, I think we as practitioners, as the persons who deliver this vaccine, have to get ourselves organized. We have to educate people about that. And we have to uh, also hope that people will, as we educate them, begin to roll up their sleeves more than once in order to get these vaccines on a seasonal basis. So this first season has been rather a challenge as we try to uh, get vaccine protection out to as many people as possible who are age 60 and older. Since this is a new vaccine, how should we interpret these numbers? Because we look at 20% of those 60 and older have gotten an RSV shot. Is that a good accomplishment, given that this is the first time around? Or is there something else kind of going on here? Well, I think we can give ourselves a B plus. Um, uh, obviously, the acceptance of any new vaccine is going to be cautious, both on the practitioner side and on the patient side. So the fact that we've gotten about 20% of people age 60 and older vaccinated is a good thing. We also, not to get too much into the weeds here, have to look at the nature of the recommendation for people age 60 and older. It's shared clinical decision-making. It's the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices didn't say, give it to everyone age 60 and older, but they said, have a discussion with your patients about that. And that puts a caution light, uh, kind of a yellow caution light in the minds of uh, many practitioners. And it takes a little more work in order to have those discussions. But for sure, as I have said to patients, with increasing age, your risk of serious RSV infection just goes up. So the older you are, the stronger my recommendation. Also, (laughs) older people have a tendency to accumulate chronic underlying medical conditions. And every time you add a condition, some heart disease, some lung disease, you know, high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, whatever it is, your risk at that age takes a notch up. So as I have said to patients, even though you may be, let's say, 66, still relatively young, but if you have diabetes or you have high blood pressure, in addition to being age 66, then my recommendation to you to get the RSV vaccine becomes more imperative. Yes, I really think you ought to get it, as opposed to 
if you were 66 and uh, still running marathons, <laughs> I would say, well, you might consider it. Lucky and you. And so uh, that has resulted in uh, uh, it's not being strongly recommended for everyone age 60 and older, but having given the vaccine this first year out to 20 plus percent of the population age 60 and older, not bad. It's funny, I, I am over 60 and I did have this discussion and my doctor, I don't have any underlying conditions, I'm, I'm 61, and she and I decided this year probably wasn't necessary. I've got COVID booster, I got the flu shot, but I didn't get the RSV vaccine. So it's interesting to hear you talk about that. I wasn't really thinking about it, that I'm not part of that 20% when we look at that number. So, you know, there's a personal anecdote. The other thing I wonder, though, is, as you've seen, because all of the vaccines we're talking about are respiratory, COVID, the coronavirus, flu, and RSV, we have seen a slight rebound on flu vaccine uptake in the last couple of years mm -hmm. after the pandemic. And the COVID numbers are just below 20%, I, I believe, for the latest numbers we've seen. Do you believe that this the vaccine hesitancy or resistance, and we've seen some big people like RFK Jr., you know, that are anti-vax, is that having a lasting impact that is changing the nature of what we think about vaccines in America, or is it still a fairly small subset of people who buy into that? Uh, did you hear me sigh? Because I think the answer is yes, <laughs> uh, for sure. Let's look at uh, the acceptance of the updated COVID vaccine. People have really wanted to put COVID behind them. And looking at the entire U.S. population, not just the older population, but we've only reached about 20% of the entire U.S. population that was basically 100% eligible for this vaccine. Yes, acceptance rises as you get older, and that's a very, very good thing. But the caution, the skepticism, the hesitancy, the wish to put COVID behind us really is strongly out there. And of course, not to go into this in any length, but there are political implications. Uh, there have been several studies to indicate now that politically red states are less well immunized, that's my home state in Tennessee, than are the bluer states uh, where immunization acceptance has been higher. So it's hesitancy for sure is with us and will continue to be with us so that all of us who are individual practitioners, infectious disease doctors, people in public health, we're going to have to listen to the population, respond to their concerns, and continue to promote the use of these vaccines. Because as I like to say, reducing it to its essence, disease bad, vaccines good. I did want to ask, you know, before you go, to put this, to put all of this in, in context, because, you know, for your entire career, you have been studying and trying to understand infectious diseases in the context of public health. And so if you were to kind of, you know, put a kind of a put a circle around this and look into your crystal ball, what is the state of public health right now? And should we be optimistic about the future of public health? As, as a genetically optimistic person, I remain optimistic. If you're interested in public health, which is dedicated to the betterment of health in the population, you've got to be an optimist, which doesn't mean that there isn't a struggle. And you have to persist in trying to provide the best information 
but beyond information, a sense of comfort, a sense that getting vaccinated is reasonable and it's the responsible thing to do, not only for yourself, but for those around you. Remember, these are communicable infections we're trying to prevent, so we don't want to put others at risk. No one wants to be a dreaded spreader, right? And so I think we're going to have to continue to listen, respond, persist, and be optimistic, but we'll have to continue to be energetic going forward and promoting vaccines. You know, looking forward, medical science is going to provide even more opportunities to prevent more diseases through vaccines as we move through this very exciting century. So let's not backslide now as we're also simultaneously moving forward. Dr. William Schaffner, Professor of Infectious Diseases at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine, thank you so very much for joining us today. We very much appreciate uh, your insight and knowledge. It's been my very great pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Well, is it the reduced price or the earlier hour that has the early bird special appealing to younger Americans? According to new research, Gen Z between the ages of 15 and 34 are skipping last call and opting for a few extra hours of sleep. According to a survey of about 2 million customers from the company Sleep Number, um, Americans within this age group are getting an average of 9 hours and 12 minutes of sleep per night. Other data shows that they're making dinner reservations earlier than ever at about 5 p.m. And they're also bringing back some old school habits. So, Lee, sadly, neither you nor I uh, fit this age group or this demographic. So let's open it up to Athen and to Rebecca. What is going on here? Um, I would say I, as someone that's in, in that age group in Gen Z, I think it's just like the amount, maybe the amount of stress or the amount of things that we feel like we have to do now with like going to school, uh, working a job at the same time, having the amount of extracurriculars you have to have to get into the work field. Maybe it's just out of exhaustion that we're going to bed earlier and eating dinner earlier. Rebecca, what do you think? Uh, I was just um, going to interrupt. Say that uh, I... Rebe- Rebecca, just one second. I just got to interrupt right there. Athen, if it's exhaustion that's making you <laughs> sleep later, I would be, you know, sleeping 12 hours a night. So now, Rebecca, you jump. I I can't say that I relate to sleeping later and eating earlier, if I'm honest. Uh, I'm going to bed after midnight almost every single night. And I I eat when I can, honestly. But that's kind of the nature of being on campus. I think sometimes some of our free time is only at night. A lot of clubs meet at 9.15. So... I might be getting home after that and eating dinner at 10 p.m., and that's just what it is. But I do see a lot of people trying to get to bed sooner rather than later, and I think that it is kind of college classes, internships, jobs, having to get up by 8 or 9 to show up to work. So are weekends for you guys times to catch up on your sleeping, or is that the time to catch up on your entertainment? It's a bit of both. I work on the weekends personally, so... um. I'm, st- I'm still working on Saturdays. 
Well, here's a question, though, because when you think about more people working remotely, is this more a convenience factor? You know, when you think about you don't have to necessarily leave the office or leave a location to make dinner, you know, at a later time, you know, you're sort of wrapping things up. There's a little bit more flexibility at home or on campus or in the dorm room, you know, to, to meet friends and other people for an earlier dinner. What do you think? Even, you know, from your experience, you've been working remotely too since the pandemic, not fully, but a few days here or there. I don't fit into any of this. <laughs> uh, I'm a night owl. <laughs> I wish I could sleep later in the morning, so I sort of squeeze it. Um, uh, dinner comes in, I don't know, it, uh, I don't think I've eaten dinner uh, before five o'clock and I can't remember. I probably would call that lunch uh, if it was like at four o'clock, so... Uh, just you have to turn all the hours back. Maybe I'm in the wrong time zone. I don't know. But Mary, I was going to turn it on to you. Uh-oh. Okay. You you have work, family, kids. How does that all work out? I would kill to get nine hours of sleep a night. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, no, but I mean, I've always been sort of an old soul. I think you and Barb have always called me that in the many years that I've known you. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I think that for the shift, you know, following COVID of being having a little more flexibility, I know that it can be a little bit easier sometimes to sort of log off at five or five thirty, and then you know get to you know, run out to a meeting or to be able to have dinner um, because there it, there is a little bit more air in the schedule, so to speak. Um, you know, in terms of location, um, getting out to an earlier dinner does help sometimes when you reduce the commute. Uh, but one piece of information that I found really fascinating is this idea of members of Gen Z being interested in some of these sort of um, more classical interests, shall we say, like listening to jazz. Um, you know, that I thought was really interesting, really cool. And Rebecca, do you have you seen that with your peers that there are types of perhaps um, interests that harken back to older days, shall we say? Yeah, I would I would say so. I'd say especially in um music i think that a lot of people are listening to genres that some people might have thought were kind of bygone i think that jazz is having kind of a resurgence even with modern artists um i believe Lofi is how you say her name uh she's a you're asking really, really popular really popular jazz artist right now um me personally i'm a fan of chet baker i listen to chet baker almost every single day um i think that and i think that you know, uh, even more recent uh, decades of, of music are becoming popular again. I think people are interested in uh, Fleetwood Mac today in a, in a really real way and ABBA and, and kind of bygone eras like that. Well, that's painful uh, when you say bygone eras. You're making me into a dinosaur right now. Right well, ABBA just put on eyes. new music. That is true. So, who knows? But how about you, Athens? Where's this breakdown for you? I have a another comment, but I first wanted to pick you up on this. Yeah, I I don't know if I'm seeing as much of a popularity with jazz, but I feel like kind of the old school hobbies are definitely coming back. I feel like a lot of people I know in their free time are taking up things like like knitting or crocheting or things like that, where they're kind of like wow. old school hobbies where you're just sitting down and doing things by hand. So I think I definitely see that a lot. Wow. No, it's interesting. My mom and my grandmother had, well, like my grandmother when she was living, my mom now, she crochets and I never got into it. And she would always say to me, 
when I would be going through like a stressful time, you really need to take up something like crocheting or or needlepoint to sort of occupy, you know, my brain to de-stress. So I wonder if there's something uh, th- that's playing into it in some way, shape or form. Here's my, uh, here's what I'm upset about. Uh, so for going back to like jazz and old hobbies, why are not movies also part of so I'm always talking to students. I know old movies like, you know, right now are not what I consider old movies. Um, but I, when I think of black and white movies, those are right kind of old movies. And I always ask students, uh, I even threaten they're not going to graduate. Uh, I don't think you should get your diploma unless you've seen Casablanca, for example. And, uh, you know, and I'm just pushing that. Um, the Maltese Falcon is a biggie. Uh, Gaslight. These are things that I don't know how you can be an educated person well-educated without seeing these. But from what I'm hearing from you younger people is that this is not part of the kickback to olden times. Uh, you're not you're not digging deep into the history. Why not? Okay, uh, give me an answer. Why not? I don't know if it's much of like a going back and listening to like old jazz as it is younger people are making like new versions of jazz. So I don't know if people are going oh, back okay. and watching like old black and white movies or if it's like the younger people that are getting into film are making recreations or like different versions of I those see. type of movies. Okay. All right. So I, I, I stand corrected. That was a very clever out you just took on that. You you, you nuanced me out of my attack. What a great defense. All right. You can graduate. Thank you. It's a good <laughs> thing it's only a few months away. Rebecca, how about you? Um, I mean, I personally, now and then I'm watching some old movies. I mean, my dad's a big movie, movie buff, big film buff. Uh, but I think that, I think that maybe in the age of, of Letterboxd, if you know what that is, an app where people are tracking the movies they're watching, I think in the age of Letterboxd, maybe people are going to return to some classics. I think that people want to be cultured in that way. Uh, but at the same time, I do know of people who have seen more classic movies trying to build up their their film repertoire, and um, they haven't liked them. They thought that they were boring. Unfortunately, I hate to report. So, Lee, I know you <laughs> like to you like to have the last word in, in segments, but why don't we let uh, Rebecca and Nathan have the last word on this one? What is your take on why uh, members of your generation are calling it earlier night? I think it's just like maybe we value sleep more. I don't know. I know personally, I can't. I can't start the day without at least eight hours of sleep. So I unfortunately fit in this this category. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, I don't know. I don't I don't think that I really do fit in this category very well, but I will say that when I do get my sleep, I do I do love it. Okay, so now we we now we pivot into something I think we are probably gonna all have a comment on and perhaps one that we view uh together and we're gonna Welcome back in Jay and Barbara into the discussion as well on this. And this is our fun fact, of course. And CBS News uh, in January of 2015 asked the question, which one of the following is your favorite pizza topic? Onions, pepperoni, sausage, mushrooms, pepperoni, 45%, almost a majority. I think this is something we could all weigh in on. Uh, I'm going to start with Barb in the upper right What's your pizza preference? Well, I thought it was interesting that 3% of Americans uh, don't eat pizza. And I could understand why, because there's a lot of cheese. And certainly, even if you're not a, a 
fond of cheese. Some of us who love it can't take it in uh, the quantities uh, we used to. And um, 4% actually couldn't decide on an answer. And maybe it was because their favorite topping wasn't one of the choices. There. Um, for, for me, um, I, I hate to say it, but I don't like any toppings on my pizza. I am your basic, you know, tomato bread and mozzarella cheese kind of gal. And um, you can you can change that around as just a, you know, kind of a standard pizza or the traditional margarita and throw a little basil on there, too. But I'm I'm awfully traditional now, on this now, one. Uh, Jay, you are the one who very often challenges the categories of choices on these. And I know Barb said, well, maybe there are not everybody's pick is being offered here. Uh, what's your favorite? And uh I have a funny feeling you go with toppings. I just think you're a toppings guy. I don't. Wow, no, uh, the opposite. And I am a little surprised that they didn't go with a bunch of crazy toppings, considering how many of these polls that we bring into the fun fact where they'd ask, you know, would you put like, I don't know, like anchovies? Why are anchovies not on the list, right? I mean, uh, peppers, or pineapple. Pepper, peppers. Or peppers or pineapple and Canadian bacon, all these crazy, you know, that would have, I think, had some fun results. Um, no, I'm I'm with Barb. Uh, my favorite oh. pizza ever was a place on uh, Bleecker and Seventh Avenue, and they did a Nona Maria by the slice. And nobody knows by slice. Super thin crust, um, super hot oven, super thin crust with a little cornmeal on the bottom. But then a chunky fresh tomato sauce they made every day, uh, fresh moots, um, and then basil leaves. Uh, oh. Done, done. Uh, wow. So yeah, okay. no, I. I mean, I will eat. I like pepperoni. I'm not gonna lie, um, but I don't like the ones all loaded up. Like that's a salad. It's not a pizza. <laughs> Salad on bread. Mary, uh, I want to know about you and I want to know about your kids also. Okay, so I'm with Barb and with Jay. I like the wow. just traditional pizza. I will, if we do have a topping, I will go with pepperoni. That's my standard. Um, my husband and kids like meatball. Um, oh. I do like the occasional veggie slice and barbecue chicken pizza. Then, of course, you could always get into, yeah, I know, crazy Jay. Every once in a while with the barbecue sauce instead of the uh, tomato sauce. But my my kids and my husband do like the pasta on top of pizza, which is a little bit overkill. So there's like a ziti Whoa. slice. Oh, oh yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Come to my neighborhood. You have to try it. But for me, it's really just the, the traditional. Well, we just finished talking about what younger generations are doing in terms of sleep and entertainment. So let's see if they also join the no toppings crowd uh, with our uh, pizza selection. So let's go to uh, Athen and Rebecca. Um, I'm going to have to say I'm the exact opposite. I like a lot of toppings. <laughs> I don't usually get just cheese. <laughs> I don't eat meat. So I usually would do like onions, peppers, olives, mushrooms. Like, but I, I don't, I'm surprised they didn't put any more controversial ones like pineapple. Cause that's also something I put on pizza. I feel like the more toppings, the more I like it. The more you're on the podcast, the more I realize we don't agree with anything. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, do you like a sunny day or a, a rainy day, for example? <laughs> Rebecca, what do you think? Well, uh, I got to say, I'm pretty surprised by a lot of these results on here. Um, I'm surprised that mushrooms is at 23%. I didn't realize that many people are getting mushrooms on pizza. Uh, I personally do like toppings on my pizza. 
My favorite pizza topping is onions. I'm in the oh. minority here of of the uh, of the topping six, choices. Six percent, six at six percent. But yeah. I do love onions in my pizza. But I'm I'm in the same camp as Athen. I'm not really getting meat on my pizza. I'm loading it up with a lot of veggies. I love a veggie slice. I love a slice that's basically a salad, as Jay says. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. But at the Marist Poll, politics and pizza are a staple. Uh, I think most of the ones we get don't have toppings, although I'm not totally sure about that. I know that I take the ones that don't have the toppings. How's that? Well, around the horn we went, and uh, we'll know uh, to avoid certain things, uh, but plain is still very much in both. When the moon hits your eye like a bigger pizza pie, that's amore. That'll do it for Pole Hut this week. Pole Hub is produced by the Marist Pole at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Mary Griffith is our executive producer. Casey Schath is our production supervisor. The Pole Hub team includes Athen Hollis and Rebecca Hendricks. If you enjoy Pole Hub, please consider leaving a review. Positive reviews help other listeners like you find us. If you'd like to learn more about polling and survey science, check out the Marist Pole Academy, our free online learning portal. If you have questions for us, Tweet them at us at Maris Poll. Remember, you can always tell your smart speaker to play Poll Hub. And with any luck, it'll cooperate. Finally, wherever you listen to Poll Hub, there is a subscribe button. Click it, and the latest episode will be ready for you and your podcasting app as soon as it's released. We'll, we'll see, see you next time. But you know you're not dreaming, signore. Excuse me, but you see, back in old Napoli, that's more. Eh?